Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolason. Uh, thank you for joining and spending some time with us today. Today is uh, Wednesday, July 13th. And so uh, we just got the CPI numbers for the month of June. So that's what we're going to review first here today. Um, so basically, let me uh, pull up my, my sheet here. So inflation for the month of June was up 1.3% compared to a 1% increase for May. So that brings the 12-month increase on CPI, so a 12-month increase in prices to 9.1%. We now have a 9 handle. Uh, we were at 86 um, last month. And so... Yeah, this is uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about. You know, we knew that we'd get to a nine handle. Now, I didn't think we'd get to a nine handle so fast because when you look at the twelve month inflation data, you're looking when we when we created that inflation data for June that we just published, they had to take the June twenty twenty one monthly increase out of the calculation. Right, it's twelve months, so you got to take last June out and replace it with this June. So they took out a 0.93% increase, which was the largest increase I think we saw all year last year. So they took out a fairly high number. And I actually thought um, inflation would moderate in June because we were taking out such a big number. But the fact is we replaced that 0.93 with a 1.3. So uh, ended up rising inflation up above 9%. Um, and then I was predicting that basically July, August, and September is where we would see the increases because when you look at the 12-month calculations, we're going to be taking out 0.48, 0.21, and 0.27 in those three months respectively. So we're going to be taking out some very low inflation numbers, the lowest of last year. We're going to be taking those out of the 12-month calculation and replacing that with much higher inflation data. So I would predict probably July we'll see 95 by August, we'll probably see 10%. And even with, inf with energy moderating, which I still think is a short-term trend, and the energy prices have come down. They're up at $120 a barrel for oil, and I now they're, they're back down to $100 a barrel or whatever they are. And uh, energy stocks are you know 25% off their highs. So in, in inherently what's a very volatile market always, you know, we're seeing this reduction in energy prices. But, you know, we still haven't fixed the supply issue. You know, we still have a, an administration that has created such a hostile environment for the energy producing companies where they're not going to want to make five to 10 year investments. Um, and, you know, why would you, right? I know if I was a, a shareholder um, of those companies, and, and I am a shareholder of some of these companies personally, um, that you know, I don't want them to make a five or a 10 year investment because, you know, I just don't believe that the administration has their back, right? I don't believe that. So, you know, why would you invest millions, if not billions of dollars? So anyway, um, all that aside, I think energy will probably continue to stay above $100 a barrel, keep pressure on gasoline prices. Plus, there's increasing demand as we get further and further into the summer and there's more vacationing. So, Energy prices aren't coming off, but again, on the 12-month calculation, we're going to be losing some really, really low numbers and replacing them with higher numbers. And I just think we'll probably, I mean, we'll definitely see double digit, but we might see 11% or 12% inflation. You know, this is just what's astonishing. 
um, is how fast this inflation is moving up. I mean, I I knew inflation was was coming. We've been talking about inflation as a concern for the last five years, right? Basically, we've seen a lot of money printing going on, uh, but now it's it's all coming to a head, and it's coming so quickly. Um, and you know, they talk about the the markets being forward looking. I don't even think the markets are forward looking enough. I think they're reacting fairly slowly. Uh, to this inflation, and, and rightfully so. I, again, I even myself, who's been talking about inflation, couldn't have predicted inflation coming this fast. So anyway, um, I want to show, I want to play a clip. So I'm using a new recording software, so I'm just going to try and pause myself and then play, insert an MP3, um, and then I'll, I'll be able to come back on after that. So, but what I'm going to play was a recording from Bloomberg Radio. I was listening to Bloomberg Radio on the weekend. I think not this past weekend, but the weekend before. So about eight days ago, I'm listening to Bloomberg Radio, and they got this guy on there doing an interview with the host. And I don't even know who he was. You know, he's some type of market analyst. But the guy epitomized what the market consensus is so well, right? Which basically is is lack of understanding of economics. And this guy was just talking, and you you just tell how stupid he was. <laughs> And I actually went and I downloaded SiriusXM app. I only had it in my car. I never had the app, but I downloaded the app just so that I can go to the Bloomberg channel, rewind the channel, and then record it <laughs> because I thought it was such a good recording and I wanted to talk about it. So anyway, I'm going to play a clip and um, I think you'll find it quite interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and pause this and play the clip. We'll be right back. I'm reasonably bullish on stocks. Um, you know, I think I think sentiment is pretty terrible here. Uh, I think sentiment is bombed out, and I'm actually expecting a rally. Really, the worse the data is, the better it is for the stock market because that builds more of a case for the Fed to pause rate hikes. Yeah. At the same time, the Fed can't really pause rate hikes until we see it in inflation expectations, right? I mean, it's actually targeting inflation expectations right now, which it said it is. But how do we even try to predict what the impact of that will be on stock and bond markets? Well, the interesting thing is, is we're getting a little bit of early evidence that inflation expectations are coming down. We got that the other day with the University of Michigan mm. survey, uh, that inflation expectations on a one-year basis and a five- to ten-year basis had come down just a little bit. So, you know, even though they've, they haven't really actually hiked interest rates a lot, they've done sort of this verbal tightening over the last six to nine months. And it has been having an effect. It's been having a huge effect. So I'm going to quote from one of your pieces. You say, as laughable as it may seem, there may still actually be a transitory element to current inflation. That was a function of quantitative easing, government spending and pandemic hoarding. You're really buying into this idea that we could see inflation coming down pretty precipitously soon. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very confident that the 8.6% print we got on CPI, I think that's going to be the highest. I think the next print is going to be lower. Uh, the economy has slowed quite a bit since that last CPI print. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very possible that by the end of the year, we could have inflation somewhere around 5% or 6%. Jared, do we have to be confident in this Federal Reserve before we make a calculation on the economy, though? I mean, I ask that because I'm not sure that even this Federal Reserve is confident in itself on this particular cycle. Well, I mean, you know, Jerome Powell said that he isn't really, you know, he isn't really sure what causes inflation, or I forget his exact quote, uh, but nobody really is. I mean, it's really a psychological phenomenon. And, um, you know, that's really the purpose of the rate hikes is to crush the inflationary psychology 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's doing actually a a pretty good job. And someone pointed out recently that you know in previous inflationary episodes you had to raise Fed funds above the rate of inflation in order to get inflation down, which would mean we would have to take you know Fed funds up to nine percent. I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't even think that's necessary. I mean, I don't think you can raise rates to three percent, and you're going to be able. Okay, so I should be back. Um... Anyway, still learning this new system here. Um, But anyway, that guy was, again, really, to me, that's what the market's thinking, right? Now, I think a couple of things that I picked up on that. So first of all, I love it. You know, he was, quote unquote, very confident that the 8.6% print from the month of May was going to be the high. And and here we are with a 9.1% print. So whoever you are out there, um, you're wrong, right? And you've probably been wrong on a lot of things this year and most likely will continue to be wrong because that person really doesn't understand how economics works. And I think that's the problem with our politicians, with a lot of the money managers out there, with a lot of the Wall Street firms. They're not understanding the basic concept of economics, right? Um, basically, he was saying, you know, hey, we don't really know why inflation happens, <laughs> Um, we think it, you know, it's kind of a mystery. It's, it's some type of psychological phenomenon. And, and he's wrong. It's a monetary phenomenon. So I'm going to get back to that in just a second. Um, but uh, just a couple things also on that. Um, he mentioned that inflation would be 5% by the end of the year. So if you're looking at a 12 month 5% inflation, you know, that would, because we've had like 1% monthly inflation for the first seven months. So what he was basically saying was that, by the end of the year, so over the next three months, or sorry, the next, whatever, six months, right, the back half of this year, that inflation's basically going to be zero. I mean, you'd have to have 0% inflation or deflation throughout the rest of the year to get to a 5% annual inflation by the end of the year. So where the person, that guy's getting that, I mean, I have no idea, but the bond market's doing the same thing. If you look at the tips, the break-evens, the bond markets are still telling you that same thing. Hey, inflation's going to be back down to maybe 3% by the early part of next year, and we're not going to have an issue with inflation. And in fact, they're going to start cutting rates. That is what the bond market's telling us. I mean, it's so insane. And, you know, I thought I thought it was interesting because that person, whoever that guy was, mentioned, you know, hey, if we get this bad data coming in, right, recessionary data, because we've been getting some of that, and I think we're going to continue to get that as we go through earnings season, then that's a case for the Fed to pause. And that's good for stocks. So that's what's been buoying stocks up. But at the same time, okay, because the Fed is being hawkish and they're not pausing rate hikes, that means we shouldn't own gold. And so gold's been pressured down. So basically you have the market completely not understanding what's going on and making both bets on both sides of this idea. And somehow they have the best of both worlds, right? I mean, we can keep stock prices up because the Fed's going to pause rates. But because the Fed's not going to pause rates, we're going to sell gold down. I mean, to me, both of those things are wrong. So again, stock market probably should go a lot lower because um, that bad data is going to push it down. The Fed, 
even if they're slightly hawkish, is going to keep pressure on stocks. So stocks are not shouldn't be buoyed the way they are. They should be sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And gold should be going up because the Fed is not going to be able to control inflation, right? They're going, they're not going to be able to, even with the hawkish sentiment, they're still not going to be able to control inflation. So I think the market has both of those things mispriced. And you look at the investing community and looking for the best of both worlds. They're betting on both sides of what's impossible. Okay, and that's really a tale of where we are. We're basically in a, an impossible situation where the Fed has to tighten money to try and choke inflation. But at the same time, they're going to destroy the stock market and they're going to destroy the economy. So then they have to loosen money to keep the stock market going. But at the same time, that that continues to put gasoline on the inflation fire, which inevitably kills the economy eventually. So, I mean, literally, the Fed is in, in, in a no win situation. They're between a rock and a hard place. Right. Um, they're in this situation that they never wanted to be in. And this is a real problem. And again, you have these people out there, the market pundits, the politicians, all of them thinking that somehow inflation is a mystery, that it's this psychological phenomenon. And if we can talk the talk, then we can choke inflation. But but they're wrong. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It's something that occurs because of money printing, right? So you can even compare this to what Biden's talking about with price gouging, right? So I always like to say, okay, there's no such thing as price gouging, not in the long term, maybe in the short term, there's price gouging. But in the long term, in a competitive economy, which again, we do have a little bit of a corrupt, um, capitalistic, you know, kind of crony capitalism here, we don't have pure capitalism, if we had pure capitalism, then there would be much less price gouging. But because we have government intervention, government subsidies, and this crony capitalism, then, you know, granted, you're going to get a little more price gouging. But the fact is, even in our society, where we where we have this, this quasi-capital, we're capitalistic enough that over the long term, there is no such thing as price gouging. If one person is gouging the customers, then somebody else is going to realize that that person's gouging. They're going to come in. They're going to provide the same service or the same product at a lower price with better quality, and they're going to take over that market share. And that company that was price gouging is going to lose the market share and go out of business. Okay, so that's how a competitive environment works, where it it evens everything out. It's the greatest system ever invented from an economic standpoint. It gets rid of price gouging every time, but it does take sometimes some time, right? I mean, if if a guy's you know, price gouging on the corner gas station, it's going to take a little time for somebody to build another gas station next to them uh, so that they can, you know, take over. But in the long term, that would happen, right? So again, Biden is talking about price gouging, but all you have to do is just extend the timeline and that doesn't exist. And so the same thing goes with monetary policy causing inflation, right? Printing money causing inflation. In the short term, you might not recognize it, right? But in the long term, it always always has and always will result in inflation because the fact is you have more supply of money for the same amount of goods. When you print money, you don't produce anything more, right? You didn't just build a factory that produced more goods. You have the same amount of goods with more money. I mean, I like to always break it down to a very simple economy, a little tiny economy with two goods, both of them equal. Let's say they're, they're two cars, right? So you got two cars in this economy. And both of them are exactly the same. Same paint colors, same model, same year, same mileage. Everything's the same. And there's $20,000 floating in this economy. 
Well, if you had to spend the $20,000 because the economy has to run and, and there's only two goods to buy, then each car is worth ten grand, right? But if all of a sudden you inject another $20,000 and now there's $40,000 in the economy, but you didn't increase any of the goods, there's still the same two cars. Well, the price of those cars should be $20,000 instead of $10,000. So that's a very simple example of how you create inflation by adding money but not adding productivity. <clears throat> and that's really again, a, a misunderstanding of the politicians that somehow, you know, fiscal policy, expansive fiscal policy, creating more money, right, through government spending and having the Fed monetize it to print the money, right, or even borrowing money from overseas, right? When you inject this money and you give it to people for free in the form of lower interest rates or whatever, however you're, you're getting the money into the system, you're not increasing productivity. Government doesn't produce anything. All they produce is money. And if you just produce money and you don't produce goods, then you create inflation. And so inflation always has been a monetary phenomenon. But what has happened over the last 40 to 50 years, and we've talked about this many times, and Powell just admitted it, and I think it was his last press conference. Maybe it was the one before. So you, if you listen to the last two, you'll, you'll hear him talk about this. He talks about how we've been able to outsource inflation. I mean, he basically says, hey, you know, because we've had, you know, an ability to produce goods at lower costs, continue to decrease our costs of, of goods by utilizing, you know, developing countries to produce these goods, uh, that's what's kept inflation at bay since we've been printing money and going off the gold standard in the early 1970s. So for 52 years, you basically have had farmers leaving the farms in China, heading into the cities, working in factories 12 hours, 15 hours a day, you know, in horrible conditions, you know, kids working right over there, um, you know, whatever they're doing in China to produce these goods at an ultra low price. And we're living, you know, high on the hog over here. We're just, you know, no issues, plenty of money, every everything we could possibly want we have. Um, and you got them living in squalor producing our goods for us. But that only lasts so long. You can only pull so many people out of poverty. And then eventually those people that are now in the lower middle class want to get to the higher middle class. And so China is going to want to produce and, and consume their own goods eventually. right? Eventually the economy turns to a more consumer-based economy where they want to produce and consume. Um, and then it changed, right? Why would they want to export goods to us when they could just produce and, and consume them themselves? I mean, that's a better outcome for them. And so, you know, that's really happening across all the developing countries. I mean, yeah, there's still some outsourcing we can do. You know, we can switch our factories from China to Bangladesh or, you know, keep moving further and further down the line. But eventually you run out of that. And eventually, and it's already happening, you know, not only did... Trump kind of hyper, uh, you know, speed up this process by trying to kind of bring manufacturing back. Well, by bringing manufacturing back, then you're increasing the cost of goods because it's cheaper to produce it overseas. Uh, but when you do that, I mean, yeah, it might be good for the supply chain and, and probably good in the long term to bring this back. But man, do we have a lot of pain because those goods are going to keep rising in price. And so, again, in the long term, money printing will always show up as inflation. If you exported that inflation through high trade deficits for 52 years, 
okay? And you were able to do it because you had basically the petrodollar and, and everybody had demand for dollars. So not only this high demand, what they call the milkshake theory, and you have the outsourcing the inflation, massive trade deficits. It's not just about your, your national debt, but also your trade deficits annually. So all those things have kept this inflation at bay, but now it's coming forward. And like a snowball, it will pick up speed. And I think that's really where people are missing missing the ball, missing the boat. You know, they're not understanding how fast this inflation is picking up and the reason it's picking up, because now people realize, people get it, and they're gonna keep, you know, so there is a psychological component. People are gonna keep raising prices as they have to spend more money. Um, but again, we just can't outsource the, pro the production of goods any cheaper than they already are. So now we're going to deal with the inflation. Um, and, you know, really that the whole problem stems like, why did we print all this money? Why did we go off the gold standard in the 1970s? It was because we were expanding government. We've expanded government on the back of money printing. We did not expand the government based on taxes right it's not like we raised taxes tremendously and built a bigger government because that's what we wanted because no one would vote for that right no one would want to raise taxes to create a bureaucracy but if you're creating a bureaucracy that's held out as some positive to the community even though it's really not big government always is detrimental effects to the community and society and the economy but if you hold it out as a positive and we can convince and brainwash a bunch of young people to vote for politicians that are expanding the government, and then you can do it with free money, right? And your inflation hasn't showed up yet. I mean, that was the that was the golden goose, right? That was basically what you did. You just printed money, we expand government. Print money, expand government. We've talked about the expansion of the size of government. But this government is so large now, and it's purely been funded with this money printing. So now we're at this position where we have this massive government. We have well over a trillion dollar deficits, even without the COVID spending. With COVID spending, we were at $3 trillion deficits, right? But even at a trillion dollars a year adding to the debt, um, that's, by the way, in a positive economic environment. So if we go into a recession, as we're trying to choke off the inflation, so we're trying to choke the inflation, we're heading to a recession, and then all those automatic stabilizers kick in, right? The higher welfare claims and the food stamps and the unemployment subsidies to the states and, and you know, all the, the benefits that go to the unemployed and the underemployed, you know, all those are going to start increasing. So what happens? Government spending starts to go up. So government spending goes up during recessions. So we'll have this inflationary environment and we're heading into a recession. The Fed's raising rates, right? Um, and, and basically the government is on this crash course because they're going to need all this money. Not only do they need 200 billion a month just to finance the new debt and, and re, um, you know, uh, refinance the debt that's coming due. Now they got all this additional expenditure. Well, not only because we have Biden as president and the Dems are all about spending money, but also we're going to have the recession, which requires a lot of bailouts and all that stuff. So, so you're going to have ultra high need for um, for money to fund this big government that we've created. And if we can't print the money because we're raising interest rates and we're in quantitative tightening, then they're going to have to go out and borrow the money. And man, when the Fed is not there to buy, 
the government is going to have to pay huge, huge premiums to borrow in the private marketplace, right? I mean, like if you're selling shoes, right, and and you had somebody that bought 70% of your shoes for the last 12 years, right, and you feel like the man, right? It's like, wow, I am awesome. I run this awesome shoe business. I sell so many shoes. If I put shoes out, they sell, right? And meanwhile, it's this one person that really likes you and they just buy 70% of all the shoes and you just keep putting more shoes out for sale and they just keep buying them. It doesn't matter how ugly the shoes are. You just keep putting the shoes out there and they keep buying them. That was the federal government putting out bonds and the Federal Reserve buying them. And when the Federal Reserve buys bonds, they just print money to do it. So you got the federal government putting out all these shoes. The Federal Reserve's just buying them. Eventually, the Federal Reserve says, you know what? I'm not going to buy any more of your shoes. And in fact, I'm going to start selling shoes myself because it's such a good business. I'm going to start selling shoes. And I start selling as the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve starts selling just as many shoes as you were selling. And now the Federal Reserve isn't buying you my shoes anymore. So now I got all these extra shoes. I got nobody to buy them, maybe 30%, but even that 30% is getting weaker and weaker. So, you know, because of the recession. So I have all these extra shoes. So what do I got to do? I got to put the shoes on sale. So in the federal government's case, they have to put their bonds on sale. How do you put bonds on sale? You raise interest rates, right? Interest rates and bond prices work inversely. So interest rates rise, bond prices fall. And if I want to sell bonds as the federal government, and it's not that I want to sell bonds, I will have to sell bonds because I have this huge government that I can't stop spending money, you know, and so... I just have to, to sell these bonds at a loss, sell them on a huge. So the interest rates will spike huge. I mean, huge spike in interest rates. And again, all that's gonna, going to be because of the quantitative tightening program that the federal government still has not started. The Federal Reserve, rather, not the federal government, the Federal Reserve hasn't even started quantitative tightening. They're supposed to sell off $330 billion by the end of the year and then another $750 billion by the end of next year. They haven't even started. In fact, they expanded the balance sheet by $8 billion in June. So they were supposed to start June 1. They didn't. Right. So what's going on here? Why can't they do it? Because they can't. If they do, the interest rates will spike beyond um, at what anybody's thinking. And everybody's going to be shocked and in awe, and the bond market's going to crash, and the stock market's going to crash right behind it, okay? And all these things are already setting up. We have Pepsi coming out saying, hey, we did well, but our costs are up 12%. You got Microsoft coming out. Hey, we're laying a bunch of people off. And there's a bunch of tech companies that are already talking about layoffs, and we haven't even started earnings season. So the fact is, we have inflation that's much stickier than anyone thought. We have a federal government that is going to continue to spur the inflation. They're going to continue to put gasoline on that fire, and and so uh, and the Fed, the Federal Reserve is going to be trying to fight the inflation at the same time. So you're going to be having the Federal Reserve trying to put water on the on the uh, the fire, and you're going to have the federal government putting gasoline on the fire, <laughs> and. What happens is you end up with a fire and a flood, okay? And and in essence, that's what we're going to get. That's going to be stagflation. That's going to be inflationary depression, right? You're going to have both things happening at the same time. And as the, the market continues to go out there and say, hey, the they're going to looking for the best of both worlds. Well, I'm looking for the worst of both worlds. And I think both of those things are going to play out 
over the long term. Again, investments, economics, they take time. They take time to happen. But but the fact is we can look back on any economy you want to study. And I just wrote a few. You can look at Hungary, 1945, Yugoslavia, 1992, the Weimar Republic, 1922, Greece, 1941, China, 1947, Peru, 1990, Nicaragua, 1986, Argentina, 1989, Bolivia, 1984. And there's about 60 more economies that thought that if they just print money, expand government, print money and be corrupt, that that will create prosperity. And every one of those failed. And every one of those will always fail because modern monetary theory, the idea that you can print money with impunity is not a new idea. These people aren't geniuses. They didn't just figure this out. It's been tried and tried and tried and tried, and it's failed every single time. But the problem is our politicians won't study these things. They're not going to read a book about the Weimar Republic, even though there's a plenty of them out there. They're not going to do that. Do you think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has studied any of those economies? Absolutely not. Do you think she studied our economy? <laughs> I don't think so, right? So this is the problem. Our politicians are not studying this. All they want is a $200,000 $200, salary. They want raises tied to CPI. They want 6 7% raises. They want book deals, kickbacks. They want some, some real power, and they want a pension. And you look, and they look at their, they look up to Nancy Pelosi, who's worth four million, five million, whatever she's worth, twenty million dollars, uh, and she's never made more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in her whole life. So, you know, this is the problem, and I don't know that there's a fix, right? There's definitely not a fix in the short term. So, in the short term, there's more pain in the stock market. Um, there's definitely more pain in inflation. So, you know, just you know, just be prepared. I mean, food prices are not going down. They're not, you know, we're going to be struggling to, to pay these huge grocery bills for a long time. And it's only going to get worse. So, you know, I think that's why people are homesteading and, and growing their own food and getting their own chickens. And I think that's becoming more and more popular as they realize that this capitalistic society, this crony capitalism, this government intervention is what's failing our economy. It's not capitalism. It's crony capitalism that's doing this. And so what we can do is we can fight back. We can try and spread the word. We can educate people. We can encourage people to read. You know, go read about what happened in Yugoslavia in 1992. You know, it's out on the Internet. Read these things and understand it. And then encourage people to do the same. And hopefully over time, everything takes time, we can get this to a point where, um, where things are changing. The tides are changing. And people realize that we need smaller government, not larger. We need more freedom and not less. Um, and that's what it's all about. So again, thank you all for joining. Uh, this is the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. Um, this is your host, Brian Nicolason. I, um, if you have not, uh, if you're not a client, now most again, most of you guys are my clients, uh, guys and gals. Uh, but if you're not my client and you'd like to look at our investment strategies, uh, we'll do a full complimentary financial plan. So these are really good financial plans. We call them blueprints. Um, they're very detailed, very insightful. And they also focus a lot on taxes. So we deal with taxes a lot as well. Um, and we'll do the investment strategy report because this market is a tricky one. And anybody thinks that the pain is over, it's not. So we got to benefit from this market. We got to be able to sidestep the risks, 
get into a place where we're getting access to companies that have pricing power that can deal with recessions and inflation together. Um, and that's what we're doing for all our clients. So thank you all again for listening. Um, have a wonderful day. The opinions expressed by Brian Nicolaisen and guests on this radio show are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this radio station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Nicolaisen Wealth Partners are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.